Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of the Empathy Edge, the podcast where we talk about empathy as a competitive leadership, culture, and brand and marketing advantage. And I cannot wait to share today's episode with you today about humanizing data and finding the emotional story in data so that you can better connect with customers and what their needs, wants, and behaviors are. Today, I'm speaking with Alessandra Cotugno. She's a global brand strategist and former strategy partner at Ogilvy. And as an expert in global brand management, as well as data-driven storytelling, Alessandra has 17 years of agency experience at WPP's communication group, where she served as head of planning and insights for the BAV group practice in EMEA, the world's largest database of brands and customer attitudes. Alessandra is a pioneer of humanizing data to identify behavioral change, helping strategists move from analytics to creativity. Creativity is going to be a key theme today. Her long list of clients includes Danone, Group Bell, Sanofi, Colgate-Palmolive, and Unilever. Together with Dr. Sue Mazera, Alessandra has won two Atticus Awards for original thinking and branding. Her findings and methodologies have also been published in AdMap and WARC.com. Today's episode is going to talk about this idea of humanizing data to identify behavioral change. And you're going to love the conversation because Alessandra is a data analyst and she believes that any analyst should be a creative, that that's not a separate thing, that if you want to be a data analyst, you absolutely have to be an empathetic data analyst and uncover the unconscious why. She also makes a point of talking about that the art of marketing as we know it is dead. It's no longer the art of selling, but the art of enablement. And that data speaks to us and provides that story. But insights, unfortunately, are a lost art these days. And she's going to talk about exactly why that is and what good data analysis should do for you in creating a connective brand. I can't wait for you to hear the interview. Stay tuned. Welcome, Alessandra, to the Empathy Edge podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today and have this wonderful conversation about humanizing data. Hi, Maria. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be part of this, and I can't wait to talk about it. Awesome. Awesome. And you are joining us from the UK right now. Originally, I am. Italy, like me. Yay. Well, I'm not Yay. from my family. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, awesome. And I, I would love to hear a little bit, you know, We just mentioned your brilliant career in the intro. I want to hear a little bit briefly about what you're doing with Torchfish right now, if you can explain what that is and the kind of work that you're doing. Yeah, sure. Um, 
Sue and I, we, we've been knowing each other for a long time since when I was a winner. And, you know, we, we, have, we tend to have similar views when it comes to doing brand strategy. And lately, this project came out of a conversation between us. And we were kind of a little bit frustrated with how the industry is going towards doing a lot of great activations and tactical campaigns. But when you when you work at it, and I, you know, I just finished, um, you know, jumping a couple of agency lately, and um, you realize that it's all very fast and perhaps the inside work that's led to it is sometimes done sort of not with the right amount of focus or time and if it was and I think the most important thing is it feels as a little bit disconnected between what is the tactical side of the brand and the branding side of things and it seems to be more and more of a division even when you talk internally then you say oh but that's that's the branding and it shouldn't be so disconnected it should be really exactly. connected so that was that sort of, you know, chatting, chatting about what's, you know, how the activations seems to be going more separated from the brand side of things. And then we talked about how important insight is. And, you know, anyone in the industry, when you talk about insight, they will go, of course. You know, there's no one who would argue with you that insight is not important. But when you got to the nitty gritty of things, insight seems to be a bit of a disappearing art among strategies. They, they convinced they do it and then probably spend a lot of time looking for one and they're probably even convinced they do it but but then a really strong insight it should be universal it should be able to go across markets across cultures it should go straight to the heart and it should carry empathy and all those really important human connection points and when you see the tactics they seem to have disappeared all this really nice rich bits of insight seem to have gone right, right. and therefore in our project, we want to put together a consultancy that really starts to look at insights. But I think the differentiation point that we want to start is, is what we call the unconscious why. Because mm. if you look what an insight should do, it should really reveal the motivation for behaving a certain way or for thinking a certain way. Right. Sometimes the insight is an insight about behavior, an insight about thinking, but it's not an insight about why. And if you get to the why or the unconscious why, then you get to both at the same time. I love what you said. Insights are a, a disappearing art or mm. being able to analyze and pull insights is a disappearing art because it's very good that there's such a focus on data and gathering behavioral data and usage data and you know all this other data. But a lot of times what happens with certain marketing teams is, okay, what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. What leaning from that? What story is it telling? And then what does that mean in action? What, what should our, what should our next step be in terms of connecting with a customer or connecting with a partner or connecting with a client? That is the missing piece of that. That's so important. So yeah, I would love to, in the context of that, talk about this idea that you've said that I believe data speaks to us mm-hmm. if we ask the right questions And so given what you just said, can you talk a bit more about that and how leaders and brands can humanize the data so that they can make better decisions? Yeah, sure. Well, I I spent quite a few years working with BAV, the brand asset evaluator at YNI. It's um, it's the world's biggest um, brand studies. And I had the opportunity to, to really spend a lot of time 
with data point and have a lot of fun, as I said, torturing them. And I always think <laughs> that if you torture, honestly, it's about torturing them. Yes. If you torture data strong enough and for long enough, then, then you get really good sense for it. Because it's not about data or stats of analyzing rows and rows of Excel, but it's about feeling your data. And when you start touching them, torture them, spending time with them, and I explain what that means, then you get a sense for what's going on. Generally, the way I, I humanize data, since we, we talked about it, is, first of all, Okay, you do your basic analysis with data that everyone will just automatically do, but that's just the beginning of your journey. It's a journey. It's about knowing that at a point and then see how they connect with one another. So if you then apply some sort of statistics, and I never take whatever data I'm dealing with, I always like to look at the relationship between the data points. It's just treating data points as human beings. So you understand the human being, for example, point A, but then the, the human being changes in relation to point B. So you have to look at the connection and how they move one another. And there are some statistical analysis you can do for that, regression, MDS maps, you name it. You know, stats is all about seeing what moves and how it moves together. And mm -hmm. once you see them in action moving one another, you then get a sense, huh, why did this data point move with the other? And then you start asking why. So you need to treat data points as human beings in relationship with one another, trying to interpret what happens when one moves or the other moves and what it means together. And I'll give you an example, but do stop me if I'm going to much on about things. But No, this is I great. Was, okay. I was, for example, I remember working on, on something. I'll give you a really simple example. At, at one point, Ikea came to us and he said, you know, it's always been very, you know, global icon of, of sort of low prices, but it's way beyond just the low prices. This, this is Ikea you're talking uh, about. Of Ikea, yes. yes. Okay. Um, so he said, where can I go and how can I develop? How can I change? What is my future in different markets? So we looked at what the DNA of, of the brand was. And then we look at what are the dimensions of values, which is not price, it's, it's value, you know, the value that people get mm -hmm. out of things. And so some of those dimensions, they will, they will have, yes, they will have good price, but they will have things like creativity, uh, sense of being dynamism or um, uniqueness. So the way through, for example, some stats analysis like factors, you reduce a, a number of data points to a few. And the way they sort of cluster together, they tell you something. The data speaks to us that, by the way of cluster in a certain way and so for example something to do with individuality was coming out because it was clustered with daring with unique with dynamic etc so that then your role as an empathetic data analyst is to to to, to understand the why and and to give a name to it and to give a story and then connect more points and then create a more story I love that. I had I had a client last year, Neo4j, that specializes. They're the graph database leader. And I was amazed by the technology and how it sort of went beyond standard databases and that it was about graph data, looking at correlations, looking at relationships, yeah. looking at clusters, which is sort of like, you know, graduate level database analysis. And I loved how they were able to see certain things that if you had just looked at the data at face value in a standard database, 
you would never have seen those, those connections and correlations. So what you're saying really resonates for me. And I think it's, it's also a testament to the fact that marketing, if you want to be a marketing leader in, in today's world, there is, yes, it's about creativity. It is about, of course, empathy for the people that you're serving and, and what messages resonate with them. But you also have to have a healthy dose of being able to analyze data. That's just a requirement of chief marketing officers now is that they're able to look at the data and not just look at the data, but like you're saying, pull out the story and use the story to inform what their next moves are. So I yeah. really, I love that. And, and I, I think, oh, go ahead. I, I just want to add, that, I'm sorry. I just want to add that you said the word creativity and I do believe that any analyst should be a creative. There's no such a thing as yes. an analyst without creativity. Yes. Otherwise you, you're not an analyst. You just, um, you count numbers. Right, right. You could be replaced by a robot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're, not, if you're right. not finding the story behind the data. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. So I want to talk, Selfishly, I'm just totally interested in this. You worked on the Dove Real Beauty campaign, mm -hmm. which was a worldwide phenomenon. And I know it launched in 2003. Your involvement came in later. And it eventually became a platform for the master brand to evolve and, and kind of a cultural benchmark, as you say, for beauty mm -hmm. communications among women. Yeah. So I would love to hear you talk about what customer insights led to that campaign, knowing the history of it and how it played out globally across different cultures and geographies. Because that's pretty key as well in terms of empathy. Like there's no one way to be empathetic and apply it across the board to every different type of geography or culture or woman. So can you speak a little bit about what were the insights that went, went, went into that campaign and how was it adapted across cultures? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's probably one of the most obvious campaigns when you talk about empathy and I'm, you know, doing a message with, with, with a lot of resonance for women is you have to have empathy. And the minute you talk, you put the word real, you automatically put them, anybody in the world of empathy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what I love about the brand is the way it has evolved. And the challenge was to evolve from a point of um, being a true pioneer in talking, introducing reality to a world of beauty that felt like so far away and so perfect. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy the claims that are made. Like as a marketer, I just cringe when I see certain beauty products advertised because it is, it's like that is made up. Like you just made up a scientific term. <laughs> exactly. So that's what's so refreshing about Dove. Exactly. And that tension still plays up today. I mean, we see all mm -hmm. these perfect women and we're not going to mention celebrities, but you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, they didn't, perfect. they don't, you know, they don't look like that because of that product. You know, they look like that for other reasons. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then real women did have wrinkles and, and did all sorts of imperfections. And, and that was the first one to, to wave a flag and say, Hey, you know, real beauty, beauty, wrinkle is a beauty, you know, um, I, I, 
C-section mark. He's a beauty. He's, 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 he carries such a powerful message to women love. Um, so so that's, that's what is lovely about the brand. And that's what was able to hold through the years. And it's still today a, an absolute platform for what real, for define what beauty is. Beauty is fluid. Beauty is changing. Beauty is a point of view. Beauty is internal and external. I mean, you can take in various different dimensions. Mm-hmm. dimensions. But one thing I want to talk, um, which I think is really relevant, especially today in a post-COVID world, which is, for example, when I worked on the skin therapeutics um, arm of Dove, which is quite niche, but it's becoming more and more relevant, which is the creams that people suffering from clinical skin conditions use. Mm -hmm. Um, We're talking about psoriasis and eczema, all those sorts of conditions that can very quickly flare up and take away what a woman thinks is their beauty because suddenly they're covered in red marks and scars, et cetera. And that's really challenging because that's real. And you can't go up to a woman and say, well, that's real beauty. I mean, come on. You're covered in scales. How can you be real? So that was perhaps one of the most challenging briefs to work on because what real beauty is that? You know, it's 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 so how do you build empathy right. in a context of a sort of a little bit of a illness or you know in pharma where we're going today? You know, how do you how do you do that? How do you then bring make a brand aspirational and pathetic so what i loved about what we did then it's um and there's no shortcuts for doing that and i am a 100 data analyst but i'm a data analyst that goes and talk to people because there's no way that you take that away from so when when i when i spoke to people and i spent time with them i also very fond of sort of disappear in the background and just watching them doing things. And when, for example, we did Zoom calls, et cetera, with a lot of people that were very far away with different geographies in different countries, and you tend to see a common pattern of sort of um, responses. So some of the questions we ask is these women were telling how bad the nights was because they knew that in the morning, if they had a flare-up, they just can feel it. So then the question was to talk about those moments, these key moments, which is the nighttime and the morning. They said, at night, look, I put everything on me. I put avocado oil, I put olive oil, you name it. Some people put a hot bath, a cold bath. There was everything and anything under the sun they were putting in the skin. And then another story that we heard in many, many cultures and many times was that the, when they wake up, the first thing they do, when you're not, being, sort of, you're not completely awake, you're kind of just waking up, what they do, they touch the faces or they can even feel it. And if the skin is not good, they have a bad day. Mm-hmm. And they feel it's good. And they feel like a failure. And, you know, it's a, it's very, it's a lot more emotional um, for those type of people than it is for normal people because if you know it's it's a lot more they feel they fail they fail themselves mm-hmm. if they have a as if they co- caused it so anyway so by identifying the emotions the key moments of emotions which are the nighttime and the daytime we were able to come up with some really nice creative ideas one was give your skin a rest which is about putting stuff that if you put you can you have a peace of mind that you don't need anything else you just put dove and you give your skin a rest rather than torturing it with whatever you can think of so what i hear you saying is that 
and this probably applies to the larger Dove campaign of, of what insights led to that campaign, is this idea of watching people in their element, talking to them about their viewpoints, perspectives, feelings around a certain topic. And when you're doing something globally, even though it might, you know, for example, for Dove, beauty standards might differ depending on geography and culture, you were finding these common threads across what all the women were saying. And then that's where you chose to, to bring the campaign to life. Yes, I think emotions are universal. So you have your job as a researcher and as a strategist is to identify what are the emotions behind, what are the moments of those emotions, and then once you capture those moments of the emotions, is what is it the message that can be helpful, soothing or empowering or whatever response, the emotional response they need to get. So it's quite simple, really. Right. But but it's it's direct. It's getting the recurring pattern of the emotion. Right. And then, and then the moment. And the moment is really helpful because you can help you with your media plan as well. Of course. And I think, you know, what's, what's really key about that is many companies don't spend the time to unearth and discover those emotions. They sort of make a lot of assumptions about, you know, for example, in that scenario, like, oh, women have a lot of, of fear and embarrassment during the day when they're walking around with this outbreak. And what you discovered is actually that moment starts way earlier. It starts in the evening when they start to feel something yeah. coming on. It ruins their night. It ruins their morning. That's sort of like before any interaction with anyone else. It's a very personal and private exactly. moment. It's and very so, intimate. Right. And that's like the crux of empathy. I mean, if only all companies could afford to do sort of ethnographic <laughs> Um, data right. gathering, but it is so important to not shortchange that process of uncovering the why and really getting into, into how your customer or your client interacts with your product or service, but more importantly, interacts with the problem that your product or service is solving. Like there's, yeah. a, there's a larger story beyond you putting the product in front of them to solve their problem. And it's taking the time and putting the investment, quite frankly, into researching that and really uncovering. Because then you, you're much more efficient later because you sort of landed on it. You're not wasting you, – you, people think it's a shortcut to not do that work. And you end up spending way more money and way more time if you don't you end up making a lot more bad decisions if you don't take that time to really get to know that customer and that client and be empathetic. Yeah. I mean, I love what you say, interact with the problem. I think you nailed it. And that's exactly what's behind my latest project, uh, Sue and I, our latest project, because I really believe the marketing as we know it, the art of selling is dead. But marketing is now the art of enabling. And if you enable, you need to understand why would anyone wants to do it? So why is becoming even more relevant today, the motivation? Because um, if, if you are interested in the why, you're going to do it. Right. Or you're going to figure out how to tweak your product to yeah. tweak your product or service to, to address it. Like you're not going to be so married to, I have this product I need to cram down everyone's throat. It's okay, let's look at this and let's, you know, take the Steve Jobs view of the customer, 
which is what are they trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish? And then let's design something that meets that need. And exactly why it's so hand in hand of why the brand story is so important to everything. I've always talked about brand is the core of your business. It's its essence. It informs marketing. It informs product design. It informs customer service. It informs hiring. And this is just another example of that fundamental knowledge and empathy for the customer driving everything else that your business needs to do in order to be successful. So I want to switch gears a little bit and You have mentioned to me in correspondence uh, a lot of the technologies that are available to to do exactly what we're talking about. So where do technologies such as social listening or things like that lead marketers astray when it comes to truly understanding what a customer wants and needs? Sort of what what are the cautionary tales of if if someone listening to this is like, I'm going to go out and buy all this technology that helps me understand my customer better. Can you talk about where that can lead marketers astray? Sure. I think technology is fascinating. I love technology and it's becoming more and more sophisticated. It's just wonderful. And I can't wait to see what AI is taking us through, etc. So um, this is not in any way, shape or form a criticism, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's wonderful. But I think it's more about us people, analysts, and how we use it rather than the technology in itself. Technology is out there help us just like an excel sheet was like 20 years ago or a typewriter or a computer it's a tool yeah it's a tool exactly it's a tool but i think what happens is because they're so sophisticated and even sometimes we're nice looking we become over reliant on them we forget the arts and the crafts and the art of the analyst which let's not forget is creativity and and, and storytelling, you know, yeah. story story. Mm-hmm. absolutely. It's a lot more than just being able to analyze data. We become over-reliant. We just get things for face value, as you said, and we forget that that's just the beginning of the journey. It's a journey. Analyze data is a journey. It's not a moment. It's not an outlook. You'd get a, a chart, Google chart, boom, boom. It's not that. That's mm-hmm. the beginning of your journey. Mm-hmm. So point one, you become over-reliant. Then I've seen, especially with a lot of social listening, is that, again, some of them are quite well, well, well done and well built and you become, you know, you lose sense of benchmarking. And benchmarking is just, for example, you know, one of the really interesting ways in which creatively you can cut data. Because, for example, if you analyze women, you, if you look at the results versus all adults or you, versus male or versus women with children, you know, the picture changes completely. When you do social listening, you tend to just go out and say, what's the, what the women are saying? And then you take that and you take it out of the context or out of, you know, you don't do that sort of that job that I was saying in terms of looking at the connection or torturing mm-hmm. data and, about them and cutting different ways. And that's because they are sophisticated. You forget the benchmark is really relevant when you do analysis as well. You can put layers and layers of creativity. So in a way, it's a gift and a curse that they are becoming more sophisticated because as that, the arts of, of the analyst is becoming more pressing you know, the buttons on the keyboard as opposed to using your creativity to go wild. And and I think we should never lose that. Yeah, I think it's it's very similar to, you know, someone who knows how to develop a website. It doesn't mean that they can design a, a usable, mm-hmm. wonderful, delightful experience for the user. Just because they know how to use the tool, 
it doesn't mean that they are capturing the right story from that information or delivering the right experience with that yes. information, right? Are there any, just this is kind of an offshoot question, are there any technologies that you found particularly helpful for customer insights? Well, from technology point of view, um, I think I, I like them all. I mean, the social listening is working fine, but I think, and, and look, I, this is a data analyst speaking. I think you should never stop doing your customers' um, ethnography and immersions, et cetera. And, and talking to them, actually talking, talking to, to them. them. Yes. yes, and also bear in <laughs> mind that what people say is not what they feel. Yes. So you're going to have to find a methodology that also tackles the unsaid. And that's why we, in, in your new project, we, we got this thing we call it unconscious why, because people cannot name their feelings. They mm -hmm. cannot tell you why. So right. it's your job to find out as, as an analyst. And, you know, you're an analyst. You can look at data. You can look at words. You can look at feelings. You're an analyst. That's your job. That's, you're a strategist. You're a researcher. Therefore, yeah, I wouldn't, even though I'm, you know, I, I love data and I've done it for years and I will do it for many, many years to come and also to data point, but nothing replaces the human heart and the human conversations and the time spent with, um, with people, quite frankly, doing what they want to do, not what the researcher wants to do. And exactly. this is another thing, right? Because yeah. I've seen so many researchers asking questions. Our job is not to ask questions. Our job is to understand silence, to work with silence, not with words. It's the opposite. Oh, so many good quotes in here. So many good <laughs> tweetables. I love it. <laughs> so tell us as we wrap up, you mentioned it briefly at the beginning, but tell us about your next project. You, you talk about how you're helping clients research in more of a, a human-centered, empathetic way like you were talking about, meaning not research as fact-finding, but as a way of digging and connecting. So are there a few tips or practical strategies? I know this is a very complex topic, but for listeners, are there maybe one or two little nuggets of wisdom you can share to help them begin to look at data in this way? Well, I think I would say I'm very, very fond of understanding emotions. And um, emotions is something that people cannot talk about it because they, you know, the brain is different. The part that talks about language is different from the part about emotions. You're going to, as I said before, you need to have to find ways, different ways. And I will say data has emotions again, because they're classed in a certain way, they, they move in a certain way. So trying to get to the meaning of patterns and connections patterns so try to connect also when you go and read for example your don't take things at face value you know so many i heard so many clients they go and they, you know they read the, the reviews and the comments on facebook or whatever they take it at face value mm -hmm. i mean fine but put the hat on you know be a creative thinker be empathetic what is the emotions what is it that they want what is the problem as you said interact with the problem before you will interact with the solution. Totally. And I, you know, I've, I spoke to marketing expert and customer feedback expert, Jay Bear for the book, The Empathy Edge. And I'm, I'm going to be having him on the podcast as well. And he wrote a wonderful book called Hug Your Haters, which was about 
not just taking negative online reviews or negative customer feedback at face value, but digging in and learning from it. You know, is it, is, does someone just want to be heard? Does someone feel like a major event or something was ruined for them because of, so it's not, his big thing is not all of those people are trolls. They're actually giving you valuable information. If you dig under the surface and find out what's really behind that negative feedback or that negative comment. So that it just, when you said that, it reminded me of, of that conversation that we had and, and the point he, he made so eloquently in the book is that, no, those people are actually doing you a favor by communicating that raw emotion that they're having in that moment to you. And what, what you do with it is up to you. Exactly. No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And also, the moments, and we forget that people, the world, the day is made of tiny little moments. And sometimes we forget how to. This is the analytic, the you know, the analytic mind speaking. That you have to split. You have to split that emotions in different moments and then test that with your consumer and see how it changes and evolves. And when, from a marketing point of view, where is the opportunity for you to intervene? in which part of the moments and, and the emotions. And that will help you immensely with your marketing plans, with your media plans, etc. I love it. Well, this has been such a great conversation and so many important points around the fact that data and analysts, it's about emotion. It is about creativity, not embellishing or, you know, fake storytelling, but really finding the emotion and the story within data. And I loved what you said about that the job of an analyst is to apply the human connection, apply the human heart, emotion, find the connections, find the patterns in the data to tell the right story. Don't just take it at face value. So, so many good takeaways today. Thank you so much, Alessandra, for your time. How can folks find you or find out more about the work that you're doing right now? Yes, we are really early on in our process. The company is called Eavesdrop. Thanks for asking this question. <laughs> uh, the company is called Eavesdrop. We still haven't got, we're literally talking about logos now. So it's really early days, but I do have a LinkedIn presence and so is Sue. Um, so they can find me on LinkedIn. And we'll put, we'll put that in the show notes as well. We'll put the link for, for you and for Sue Mazera, who is a partner with you and works with you at Torchfish. So thank you so much, Alessandra. Have a great day. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success. Success.